Bibles, if you have them this morning, to Hebrews chapter 8. We were in Hebrews chapter 7 last week, and uh, we were talking about these concepts of who Jesus is. Anytime in the New Testament it says he is, we're studying that this summer. Anytime it says in the present the living Jesus is, we're going to go ahead and study that. Pastor Otto was talking about growth track this morning. That's something that we want everybody who's either new to Victory Life or getting reacquainted with Victory Life to go through and be a part of. You spend time finding out about the church and who we are and what we believe. You also spend, if, if, if maybe you're a newer Christian, you spend some time talking about the tenets of the faith. One of the really neat parts about that four-week class is if you're part of growth track, you do a spiritual gifts inventory. Uh, you, you find out what your spiritual gifts are, maybe rediscover what those are, and, and, and they're those gifts that help you build up the church and build up others in the faith. It's, it's a powerful moment where you talk about how you can get involved and invested in this church with your spiritual gifts. But I feel like I have a spiritual gift that is not on the list. In fact, I took the spiritual gifts inventory a, a few months ago because I was filling in for Pastor Otto and Growth Track, and number one, I was depressed at how many gifts I lacked. I'm not going not gonna to lie. I, I was like, this is terrible. I, I should have more of these, but I didn't. Uh, but I feel like there's one that should be on there that's a spiritual gift that is actually a gift exhibited by Jesus, and the Lord has been gracious enough to give it to me, and it's the spiritual gift of come on. It, 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 that is C-M-O-N, come on. And the idea of this spiritual gift is you, 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 you are able to take people who are being spectators and get them to become participants. Now, any of you who were in young adult ministry with me in FM, you know that I have this gift because I got you to do things that you said you would never do. And I got you to participate in activities that you said you would never participate in. It's a gift, and I'm glad of it. I think Jesus had this gift. In fact, I was at my, my, my uh, wedding, uh, my anniversary just passed a few weeks ago, and Gina and I love watching our wedding video, and we, we watch it with pride because we see people who have danced at no other weddings in the history of the of Victory Life Church who danced at our wedding. Why? Because we have the gift of come on. We take spectators and make them participators. I think this is a spiritual gift, and after today, I will be talking to Pastor Otto about how to get these on the spiritual gifts inventory moving forward, because I believe it's something that the Lord exhibited, and I think that Jesus had the gift of come on. I think that he was able to take people who were on the sidelines, sitting at the table, and get them out on the dance floor, get them out onto the field, give them opportunities to make their faith real and participate in it. We're going to be talking about Jesus today being the mediator of a new covenant, and I believe Jesus is a mediator of a new and better covenant because he is able uniquely to take people who are spectators in the life of faith and say, come on, and allow them to become full participants in what God is doing in the world. Are you in Hebrews chapter 8? We're going to read verse 6, and then we're going to dive down into verse 9, 10, and following in a little bit, but just verse 6 for now. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version this morning. It says this, but Jesus has now obtained a more excellent ministry, and to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted through better promises. Now, that is a loaded, loaded verse. And I want to focus today on better, better, and excellent, these three words that are there. And this is what we're going to do over the course of the next few minutes. First, I just want to give you three astounding thoughts, and they come from excellent, better, better. 
three astounding thoughts that I want us to just think about as we read this scripture. Secondly, I want to ask one question. We're going to look at three thoughts, and I want to ask one question, because the one question is going to be incredibly important for what we're going to do today. And then finally, I want to talk about these four promises, the better promises of this new covenant. So we're going to talk about three thoughts, one question, and four promises. But let's start with the three astounding thoughts that that come right here in verse 6. First, it's that Jesus has now obtained a more excellent ministry. Now, when, I, when people ask me what I do when I'm out and about, I say, I'm a minister, or I'm a pastor. But, but that term minister really means someone with a title who serves others. If you were to go to Europe today, and you were to talk about their members of the cabinet or, or, or the leaders of parliament, they're often called ministers. That, that means somebody who has title and authority, but whose real goal in life is to serve others. And this is a role that Jesus plays for you and I. That's an astounding thought. The astounding thought is Jesus lives to serve us. Jesus lives to minister to us. We saw it last week in Hebrews chapter 7, didn't we? Didn't it say that he lives to make intercession for us? Jesus is constantly in a place where he is trying to take care of us and our needs, Jesus is a minister. That is an astounding and an overwhelming thought, that Jesus lives to serve and minister to us. I I don't even know how to get my mind wrapped around that because of who he is and who I am. I won't even look at some of you. I'm thinking about the the greatness of who God is and and then who I am as a person and think Jesus lives to serve me. That is an astounding thought. There's a second astounding thought that comes right out of this verse, and it says that Jesus is the mediator. He is the mediator of a better covenant, a better covenant. Now you say, okay, what's a covenant? And that's that's an incredibly important question, especially if you're maybe newer to this Christianity thing. A covenant is an agreement between two parties, but the parties aren't equal. Even if you look at covenants of the Old Testament, the the covenants that we're talking about is, is a greater party Someone who has the opportunity to protect and bless and bestow favor on and a lesser party. Someone who swears their allegiance to that greater party and and makes some promises themselves to be loyal to that greater party. But a covenant is not just an agreement. A covenant is a binding before God promise. In fact, a covenant is so important that it's sealed in blood. There's not just a contract written up, but blood is spilt. In fact, in the Old Testament, it talked about cutting a covenant because literally you you would slice an animal down the center and and then you'd spread them to the side and, and you'd walk between them. Why blood? Why does blood make something so important? Well, because blood is the most precious substance on earth. I could be standing here with all of my organs intact, but if I don't have blood throwing through my body, I won't be standing here long. You need blood to live. You need to have your cells oxygenated. Yes, yes, I remember biology. This is important for us. Blood is the most precious substance on earth. And so when you make this binding agreement, a sacrifice must be made. But the astounding thought is that God wants to covenant with us at all. God is so great and we're so not great. Imagine for a moment if if there was announced tomorrow that America had made a treaty with an abandoned island in the Pacific. And that abandoned island and the treaty was made was not with people because it's abandoned. It was just with the lizards. 
And the United States was going to offer favor and protection and, and, and public works for the lizards. We would look at that and go, that is ridiculous. Why would we sign an agreement with the lizards on the abandoned desert island? That, 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 there is no benefit to us from that. That is the astounding nature of God wanting to covenant with you and I. What can we offer the one who spun out the universe? What can we give to, and I'm not calling you a lizard today. Every analogy breaks down somewhere. But the idea is that God is so great. And, and, and whatever we could offer him in terms of, of a covenant is so small and insignificant compared to who he is and what he can do and what he is doing in the world. God is making great promises to us. And that's the third astounding thought from this passage, that, that, that one covenant wasn't good enough the treaty between America and the desert island wasn't quite there, so God in his mercy sends his son when the first covenant is broken to make a better one than the first and one that has better promises. Imagine that for a minute, that God has decided to bless a people and give to a people and show favor and protection to a people, and then he says, you know what, let's just do better than the last time. Let's just do better than the last time. That is what Jesus has done by coming to mediate a new covenant for us. And that's why it says better promises than the old covenant. So here's the question I want to ask in light of these three astounding thoughts. What was wrong with the old covenant? What was the problem? Well, let's identify that old covenant. Go down to verse 9 right there in Hebrews chapter 8. Let's identify that first covenant make sure we're all on the same page so we can answer that question. He says, it's not like the covenant, verse 9 of chapter 8, it's not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Okay, so, so, so this is the covenant that we're talking about. We're talking about the Mosaic covenant, the covenant made with the people that were rescued from slavery in Egypt. Everybody's seen the Prince of Egypt, everybody's seen the Ten Commandments, you get what I'm talking about. These were the Hebrew slaves, the Israelite slaves who were in Egypt. God delivers them from the hand of Pharaoh and brings them into the promised land. These are the people, and the covenant that they made was at Mount Sinai with Moses. So the covenant that was the old covenant, that was the covenant that needed better promises made, was a covenant where God rescued people. Isn't that incredible? That covenant starts in a rescue. It's a rescue operation. i got to get these slaves out of here. And just so people would know throughout the earth that God did not show favoritism, he did not make this covenant with a bunch of powerful nations. He made this covenant with a group of slaves who really could offer him very little in return. And he sets them free and he makes them his people and he gives them his favor and protection and identity as a people. The promises that God gave to this, these people were astounding. He gave them ways to draw near to him. I mean, you talk about the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all of the ways that God prescribes for them to worship and to draw near to him, the entire sacrificial system, the Sabbaths, the festivals, the idea that God gave them things that they would understand in order to draw near to him. I think about the sacrificial system that they operated under. Many of you don't spend any time in the book of Leviticus, and I can understand why. But there's power in those books because that sacrificial system and the different offerings are all about this relationship that God has with man now. And every time you make an offering, it's to say, God, I know that I'm on a desert island looking like a lizard. 
but you are a great and a merciful God. Thank you for allowing me to be in fellowship with you. That's the burnt offering. And then you have a fellowship offering. God, it's so cool that I get to have a relationship with you. Thank you for allowing me to have a relationship with you. And then you have the sin and guilt offering. God, I realize that you're a good and you're a just God. And I am not necessarily all that good or all that just. So I make these offerings to you because I recognize that I have sin in my life and that I'm a sinner and that even with my sin, you want to have a relationship with me. Those offerings were powerful. They were good promises that these people had. God also gave them the law. He gave them ways to be right. He shared his mind with these people. He showed them what was good and right and holy and what would bring wholeness and healing to their lives. He gave them a record and account. We took 10 weeks studying the Ten Commandments this year, right? He gave them the Ten Commandments and then extrapolated upon those within the law to be able to say to these people, this is how you live right this is how you do it my way. This is how you, you have healing and wholeness as a community and as individuals. And, of course, he gave them a jersey. He gave them ways to be set apart. He, he gave them ways to look like his people. Not only did he give the Jewish people things in their dress, but he gave them ways that they eat and should not eat. He gave them ways to interact with one another and not interact with one another. He gave them rituals that they could participate in that would set them apart. If you go down to Trails End or you go down to the complex and, and watch a baseball game, you're going to look at one team and go, hey, that's the athletics, or hey, those are the Indians. The, God gave them rituals, and he gave them things to, to take place in their life that they would be identified as God's people. And you go, oh, yeah, yeah, they're Yahweh's. These were good promises. These were good promises. This covenant was not a bad covenant. I mean, all of those are pretty good things. I mean, if you and I went on The Price is Right tomorrow and, and, and somehow we get our, make our way onto the stage and, and we find out that we're playing Plinko for a new car, we would not be upset with that. And if we get the new car, we'd be pretty excited. We wouldn't get to the showcase showdown and look at our, look at our showcase portion of the, of the show and go, oh, that stupid car, look at this. We would be very excited about the car. But then we would look at the showcase showdown and go, oh, I like that boat, and yes, I would like to go to Antigua. You know, this is, we're not going to despise the old covenant. It's just that there's a whole lot more in the showcase showdown. There's a lot more going on a little bit later. This covenant wasn't bad. It just didn't get it done. And it's not that God had failed. We find out in 9b that people had failed. Look down at 9b. But for they did not continue in my covenant. Verse 9b, they did not continue in my covenant. That's what went wrong. That was the problem. It wasn't that God opted out of the covenant. People did. This is why it's so powerful for us to read the prophets. I hear people all the time say, I don't really read the prophets. They're hard to read. I don't really understand what's going on. But the prophets in the Old Testament, show us how people opted out of God's covenant even when there were great promises. And we find out through the prophets that these people still did a really good job of wearing their jerseys. They could look the part of being God's people. And they even did an all right job with offering sacrifices, even though sometimes they weren't doing that with the right heart. They, they, they did a pretty good job of showing up to church, if you catch my meaning. They, they did pretty good with the external stuff about looking Jewish and showing up to church. But when Jesus got there, 
to earth in AD 1, he recognized that this was not working. The people did not pursue righteousness. They could go to church and they could wear the right jersey, but they were not acting in accordance with God's will. They weren't close to him. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, it'll come up on the screen for you, that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In fact, the prophet Isaiah uh, has God saying, listen, I don't even want your sacrifices anymore because they're not coming with the right heart. You're not acting righteous. You're just doing the external technical things, but you're not really doing right by one another. Probably the best way to describe this comes from Zechariah chapter 7, verse 12, as to what failed, what was the problem with the old covenant. This is what Zechariah says. The, the, the people are asking, do we go and do we offer these sacrifices and we, do we do this fasting and do we continue to do all the, all the church things that make us look like God's people? And God says, what's the point? Zechariah 7, 12, they made their hearts diamond hard lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit. Their hearts were hard towards God. They didn't pursue righteousness. What was the problem with the old covenant? Was it the promises that God made towards the people? No. It was that to work in partnership with God requires righteousness. And the people could not attain it on their own. In fact, when God would speak his law into their hearts, they'd say, "Uh uh-uh. I'm not interested in hearing from you. I'd like to continue to do what I'm doing. And I don't need that. I will go to church. And I will look the part. But you cannot have my heart. These people were on the fast track to hell because they did not have a a, a system by which they were drawing near to God. The law was actually pushing them further away from God due to the hardness of their hearts. So what does God do? God becomes the bigger person. And through his son Jesus makes a huge sacrifice to mediate a better covenant. There's lots of people out on vacation today, lots of people who are traveling, and they call me, Pastor Matt, I'm going, I won't be in church, and, and that's great, and, and, and I, I've already gone on vacation for the summer. But imagine for a moment if I, if I had talked to my neighbor across the street, my buddy, and I said, hey, listen, I'm going out of town this summer, you're going out of town this summer, I will be happy to mow your lawn while you're out of town. When I'm out of town, would you grab my mail? You know, not, not quite an equal thing, right, me mowing his lawn compared to him grabbing my mail. And so I mow his lawn when he's out of town, and, and, and when I come back from, and he's happy when he comes back from vacation, but when I come back from vacation, my mailbox is stuffed with mail. I would feel pretty upset about that. I'd be like, dude, I mowed his lawn. All I needed him to do was get my mail. But, but this is how awesome God is. God then goes and makes this arrangement with his neighbor after the fact. He, he says, you know what, I know last time this, this, this whole agreement didn't really work out, so let's, let's, let, let's make sure it works out next time. What I'd really like to do is when I'm on vacation, you go ahead and get my mail. When you're on vacation, I'm going to mow your lawn and paint your house. I mean, who, who would not be cool with that? 
This is what God does in response to the broken covenant. He, he already gives you a great promise. He already wants to take care of people. And people go, no, 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 I'm just going to opt out. I'm not going to fulfill my obligations. God says, all right, well, let's up the ante. I'm really going to take care of everything this time. And all you got to do is pick up the mail. See, what was wrong with the old covenant? That was our question. There was nothing wrong on God's end but there was something wrong on humanity's end. Thus, for, thus, we needed a covenant with better promises. And these are the better promises that God promises us. And it starts in verse 10. Look down at verse 10. Here's the four better promises that God has made through Jesus in this new covenant. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. And catch how it all works. Verse 12, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. I'll be merciful toward their iniquities and remember their sins no more. There's four promises made in this new covenant, and they are huge and the first is this, that God is going to put his laws in our minds and write them on our hearts. The law is now personal and it's internalized. It's not just what's written on a page. It's not just what somebody can tell me when I go to church. God is desiring to speak to you and to, to, to me on a regular basis in here. And he does so by means of his Holy Spirit. He does so by means of the fact that Jesus was the only one with his work as the mediator of a new covenant that could pour out God's Holy Spirit on every single individual that called the Lord by name. You wouldn't think of Hebrews as a book that talks a lot about the Holy Spirit, but it truly is. In fact, the book of Hebrews talks about the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of a believer in verses two, or chapters 2, 3, 6, 9, and 10. The idea that this new covenant allows the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in each and every one of us and allows us to hear what God is speaking to us and saying to us about righteousness and goodness on a regular basis. The external law written on a page now becomes the internal law written on our hearts. God speaks his righteousness to us regularly because we have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit of God that we did not have prior to Jesus Christ. And it's available to each and every one of us. That's part of what is a better promise. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come, up, come upon people for a time and for a season. The Holy Spirit indwells people to live there forever and bring us into the righteousness that God has designed for us. That's why when Peter preaches the first Christian sermon of all time in Acts chapter 2, he says, repent and be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the law is going to go from what's on a page and what a priest can teach you to something that takes place in your heart and your mind where God speaks to you as an individual. It's one of the reasons that we have commitment time at the end of every one of our services because I feel like what's more powerful even than the best preached sermon is the moment that the Holy Spirit speaks to the hearts and minds of his people and they go, God, I get it, thank you. 
I needed to hear from you. I needed to draw near to you. I needed to know that you were speaking this to me. It wasn't just something that Pastor Matt said. It's something that you are speaking to me in this moment. That's why we do it. Because it's not about the spoken word. It's about what's going on in our hearts and minds through the Holy Spirit. It's like a marriage. It's like a marriage. I, I have people come in all the time to do premarital counseling, and it's so important to get on the same page before you get married. And I love doing premarital counseling, and I give people every single bit of practical advice to have a successful marriage. And you're going to think this is crazy, but I'm going I'm to make a bombastic statement to you today. Here we, well, I make them all the time, but here's another one. If you follow the rules, anybody can have a happy marriage. It's not rocket science. It's not. It's not rocket science. Here's the problem. Until people decide that they love their spouse enough to follow the rules regularly, they're not going to have a happy marriage. It's, it's a personal relationship that makes the difference. It's, it's realizing that there's room to grow and your spouse is speaking things into your life that you need to grow in. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. The law is there. We know God's will. We can look at the Bible and go, hey, there it is. But until the relationship becomes so personal that you do not want to violate that law, it's not there. That's the beauty of what Jesus has done. He has made it so personal for each and every one of us that we can come into full relationship with him and the Holy Spirit can speak to us on a regular basis. The second thing that's so powerful about this covenant is right here in verse 10. He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. There will be a sense of belonging and adoption in the new covenant. In fact, John chapter 1 verse 16 says, to as many as who believed him and called on his name, Jesus gave the right to become the children of God. We're not just his nation. We're not just his people. We are his children. See, the relationship takes on a a new persona. It's that God is our Father. It's why Jesus always prayed, Father, Father, Father. He was giving us this concept that, that our relationship with God is a perfect Father to imperfect children, and God loves us so much that he sent his Son to save us. That's why it says in Romans chapter 8, it says, we did not receive a spirit of slavery when we came to the Lord, but a spirit of adoption, one by which we look at God and say, Daddy, Abba, Father. That's the closeness of the relationship in this new and better covenant, that we feel so close to God, it's like crawling up on our Father's lap as a child. it's It's that type of disarming closeness that God wants to have with his people. Many of us cannot envision ourselves as a child of God, or, or, or if so, we, we think that we're some unwanted child. But that's not the way God views us. The new covenant says they're going to be my people, and they're going to know it. They're going to know who their God is, and they're going to know who their father is. That's why it says it's no longer about me teaching you, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord. It says in verse 11, they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. There is no barrier now in this new covenant between you and God. That's the third beautiful promise. When Jesus died on the cross, something took place in the temple that day. 
the place where the Holy Spirit of God dwelled was called the Holy of Holies. There was a massive curtain in front of it. When Jesus died, the curtain was torn in two. The Holy Spirit was poured out on all people in such a way that you no longer have to have a priest or a pastor tell you about the Lord. The Lord will tell you about himself. This is powerful what we do today. There is plenty of evidence in the the scriptures that people should preach and teach the word of God. But once again, there is no barrier between you and God. There is no reason that your relationship with the Lord cannot be as good or exceed a pastor or an elder's or a priest's. Your relationship with the Lord has no barriers. It doesn't matter if you consider yourself great or the least. There is nothing that stands between you and having a vibrant relationship to God today. In fact, the Bible tells us in three different places that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if you feel like you're not all that spiritual and you can't come close to God, you're in a great place to get to know him better. A great place to get to know him better. There is no barrier between you and God. Well, I'm not educated like you, Pastor Matt. Do you know that education can be a stumbling block to one's relationship with the Lord? You can think that it's all about book learning and Bible learning, and and you miss the fact that God can speak into your heart and your life right now and change things. There is no hierarchy. No pastor is by nature closer to the Lord than any parishioner. From the least to the greatest, you can know the Lord. God wanted to make it so that all people could have the Holy Spirit living in them. All people could hear from the Lord. All people could have have the, the Holy Spirit speak to them. All people could grow close to God. He wanted everybody to have the opportunity. That's why Jesus is a, a, has a more excellent ministry. He is a, ha, makes a better covenant with better promises. He has unleashed the Holy Spirit to be in the lives of his people so that everyone can draw near to the God whom they call Father. There is nothing between you and God today. Nothing. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And I hear people say all the time, you know what, Pastor Matt? Here's my problem. There is a barrier. You say you hear from the Lord, and I'm pretty convinced that I don't. I don't know how to hear from God. And so you do have a closer relationship with him than I do. Let me dispel that myth immediately because the promise number three works with promise number one. God is writing his law and his righteousness on our hearts, but he's also making sure that we can know him intimately and deeply. You oftentimes, when you go and pray and say, Lord, speak to me, you might do so wanting a specific direction or a specific thing for God to do in your life. For God, I need you to do this. Speak to me. And oftentimes God does speak to you, but he speaks to you in the area of righteousness and obedience, and he's waiting for you to trust him until he can give you more. If you want to begin to hear from God on a regular basis, obey what he's already speaking to you. Pursue righteousness in a way that the the people in the old covenant did not. Listen to his voice saying, do this Don't do this. Begin to follow me in what I'm saying, and you will see that I am faithful. You will see that I am good. You will see that I will draw near to you, but you must listen to the voice when he speaks to you in the area of righteousness. That's the barrier right there. Obey him in what he is speaking to you, and watch yourself grow closer to the Lord.
Watch yourself grow closer to the Lord. And the best promise of all is safe for last. Verse 12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. The first covenant started with a rescue. People who were slaves in Egypt, unable to be free, grow close to God, have their own land. The second covenant also begins with a rescue of people who were slaves to sin, unable to draw near to God, who actually had put so much distance between themselves and God due to sin that the chasm could not be overcome. And so the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to create a new covenant in his blood, to be the sacrifice for sin that we could not make ourselves a once and for all sacrifice by which when we are covered, when we are immersed in the waters of baptism and brought up to new life, symbolically we are made clean. And God remembers our sins and our iniquities no more. So that when you feel like I want to draw near to God but my sin is keeping me from that, Jesus says there is there now no condemnation for those who are in me. You're not condemned anymore. You're not guilty anymore. You're not sinful anymore. There is nothing between you and God. My blood has covered it in this new covenant. Next time you're feeling really cruddy about yourself and, and you have no right to have a relationship with God, Jesus in heaven is interceding for you saying you have every right because of what I did on the cross. Every right to draw near to God. God has determined in this new covenant that if you come by way of the cross, I will remember your sins and iniquities no more. They are forgiven so many people come into the church on a regular basis and they sit on the sidelines of church because they never feel like they're going to be righteous enough to ever do anything for God or participate in the Lord like other people do. But in this new covenant with better promises, God shows mercy towards you. He does not judge you for your sin. He allows the work of his son to cover you and he remembers your sins no more. God has a plan for you to draw near to him. He is the mediator of a better covenant. So what do you do with all of these great promises today? You draw near to God. You hear his voice and you allow it to move you. You sing the gospel message so that your heart does not get hardened. Like the people of the old covenant, you remember that Jesus has rescued you and given you every right to draw near to God your Father. That no one should be sitting on the sidelines of faith. That Jesus, by his work, has looked at you right now in your seat, wherever you are in your life of faith, and he's saying, come on, come on, come on. Get on the field. Get on the dance floor. Join the party. Let's do this thing. There is no barrier between you and experiencing every promise that I have purchased for you by my blood. 
You can have a vibrant relationship with the one who created you. Get off the sidelines and get in to what God is doing. Church is no longer theater, it's participation. Prayer is not for others, it's for you. The Bible's not unattainable. God can help you grasp it. Spiritual gifts aren't for the spiritual people, they're for me. I'll never be righteous enough. Jesus says, no, you won't. I got you covered. But whatever you do, whatever you do, keep a soft heart. soft heart. Allow the Lord to speak to you again. And you can draw near to him even today. He is the mediator of a better covenant with better promises. And he wants to minister to you today. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? If you in any way today feel like you have been operating on the sidelines of your life of faith. You say, Pastor Matt, I I recognize that there is a relationship to the Lord that I'm to have that can be beautiful and it can be vibrant and I've just sort of been participating in this church thing without drawing near to the Lord and today my heart is stirred. I want to draw near to him again. If you're in that boat today and you'd say, I want to draw near to the Lord, then I invite you to do so. I invite you to do so. Take time in this altar this morning. Take time in your seat this morning to say, Lord, where have I hardened my heart towards you? Where have I ignored the voice of your spirit speaking to me? What is my next step in my journey with you? I feel lost. But Lord, I know that you have called my name, that I am your child, and that you have a vibrant relationship for me if I will draw near to you. If that's you today, I want you to take the next five, ten minutes and you press into the Lord in prayer. These altars are open, and you do some work with the Lord today. And say, God, speak to my heart, speak to my life. Where have I become hard? Where have I ignored? Where where am I missing it? Because I want to be close to you. I want to be close to you. I want to be close to you.